uh, as we've been looking at in Matthew chapter 5. So uh, let's look at chapter 6 and uh, read through the chapter and then we'll pray and we'll um, look 1 through 18. That is a hefty chunk. <laughs> there, so. Um, but anyhow. All right. Uh, Matthew 6, verse 1. Take heed that you do not do your charitable deeds before men to be seen by them. Otherwise, you have no reward from your Father in heaven. Therefore, when you do a charitable deed... Do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may have glory from men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But when you do a charitable deed, do, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, that your charitable deed may be in secret. And your father who sees in secret will himself reward you openly. And when you pray, <clears throat> you shall not be like the hypocrites, for they love, they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the streets that they may be seen by men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But you, when you pray, go into your room, and when you've shut your door, pray to your Father who is in the secret place, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. And when you pray, don't use vain repetitions as the heathen do for they think that they'll be heard for their many words therefore don't be like them you see your father knows the things you have need of before you you ask before you ask him in this manner uh, like this therefore pray <clears throat> our father our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Don't lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. If you don't forgive men their trespasses, Neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. 
Moreover, when you fast, don't be like the hypocrites with a sad countenance, for they, they disfigure their faces that they may appear to men to be fasting. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But you, when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face so that you don't appear to men to be fasting, but to your Father who is in the secret place. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. Don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Lay up for yourselves treasures in the heavens, in heaven, where neither (laughs) neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For you see, where your wherever your treasure is, that's where your heart will be also. The lamp of the body is the eye. If therefore your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in you is darkness... And how great, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either he'll hate the one and love the other, or else he'll be loyal to the one and despise the other. See, you can't serve God and mammon, or money. Therefore, I say to you, don't worry about your life. That's heavy. What you'll eat or what you'll drink, nor about your body, what you'll put on. Isn't isn't life more than food? And the body more than clothing? You see, look, look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Aren't you of more value than they? Which of you, by worrying, can can add one cubit to his stature? So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now, now... If God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? Oh, you of little faith. Therefore, don't worry, saying, what shall we eat or or, what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For after all these things, after all these things, the Gentiles seek. Your heavenly Father knows, He knows that you need all these things. Seek 
first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And all of those things, all of these things, shall be added to you. Therefore, don't worry about tomorrow. (laughs) For tomorrow will worry about its own things. (laughs) Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Indeed. (laughs) Well, Father, there's a lot here that I need to hear that we need to hear because truly there is none like you Lord would you continue to move us to change our hearts to teach us to trust more and more in your goodness and in your faithfulness and in your patient, steadfast love toward all those whom you have called. Lord, would you be our help, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen, amen. So, popularity is cool. Um, a lot of people want to be popular. I think that, uh, with the way the internet has gone, of course, I'm an old person now compared to like, you know, middle schoolers these days, you know, uh, but, uh, um, it's fascinating to me to see some of these, really these kids, young people who frequently, I, when I taught, uh, at our homeschool co-op, um, Last year, I remember uh, one particular kid who was just wanting to get famous playing video games and streaming himself playing them uh, because some of these guys make tens of thousands of dollars a month from people paying them. <laughs> and, and I mean, it's... Um, so So, in a very basic sense, it's like this, like with things like social media. And now there's, there's, it's almost become a, a title. It's a thing you can be to be an quote-unquote influencer. Right? And uh, essentially it just means that in social media platforms, whatever they are, whether they're streaming platforms or, or picture platforms like Instagram or, or short video ones like TikTok or uh, Snapchat, um, certainly possibly Facebook. So I think some of the others are a little more conducive to this. But um, uh, and then you have like Twitch streaming for video game streaming and other things, uh, mixers and other streaming service. Anyway, so basically the way it works is you get people to follow you on those platforms and they watch you, they pay attention to what you're doing. So then businesses see that you have a hundred thousand, 200,000, 300,000, a million people that are your followers, right? That follow you on, on Twitter or whatever, that, that listen to what you're saying, right? So then you're an influencer because you have a platform where you get to speak to, you get to say something that tons of people hear, or you get to post a picture or short videos of something that lots of people will hear. And so businesses then will pay you 
to use their products, right? To to promote whatever the thing is that they want people to purchase, right? It's a, just another way for them to do advertising. And of course, it's moved into like the streaming video platforms in the same way. You'll see some some of the uh, shows on streaming platforms are so deliberately, so over the top filled with uh, promotional marketing in the show that you, you know because they say like the name of the vehicle eight times within one segment and then they, they talk about the great features of this new version of this car or whatever, you know, I've seen it several times in different things, right? Influence and prestige and being seen, being known, being famous. <clears throat> well, it works, um, right? If you're selling a product that only costs $20, if you can only get 100 people to buy it, you're only making X amount of dollars. But if you can get, you know, 5 million people to see that product and 100,000 of them to buy it, right? You're talking about much more money there, right? <clears throat> As we get to uh, Matthew chapter 6 here, one of the things I keep thinking about as I'm as we're going through the text is how Jesus begins the sermon there in Matthew 5 by saying, uh, Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. Blessed are the meek. Right? He, he goes through all of those things. And as we're going through the text and we're reading about, uh, you know, the law says don't murder. But I tell you, don't be angry at your brother without a cause. Don't spout off things like you fool and raka because you're angry, you know, <laughs> which just means empty headed, you know, because you're guilty, you know. And the law said don't commit adultery. But I say if you look at a woman to lust for her, you've already committed adultery with her. You know? And he deals with all, the, all of these things. And, and I find myself saying, well, well, Lord, I failed. <laughs> I, I just, I failed, right? As far as the way of your kingdom goes. And this, of course, is why we need a rescuer, why we needed a savior, right? And he comes and he washes our sin away and he shows us his way and he comes to live in us to enable us that we might obey him. But I feel at the same time, I find myself going back to the beginning of the sermon where he says, blessed are those who mourn. And I read those things and I say, Lord, I'm so sorry. And I find myself mourning over my failure. And I realize that that's good. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> You'll be comforted. I, when I look at these things and I, I realize that I can't be proud, I must be poor in spirit. I can't be a proud person because, because I fail. I'm brought low by the things that Jesus says. And as we move into chapter 6, I find the same thing. The way of the world always seems to be be seen, get more, let everybody know what's happening. But what we're looking at this morning is Jesus essentially saying, God's, God's way is the secret way. <laughs> That's why I titled this Secret. Um, and we're going to, we'll sort of sum it up in a... Um, toward the end here uh, in a couple of minutes but uh, <laughs> I'm so full of jokes aren't I <laughs> so he moves his discussion here along he's not moving it away from what he's already been talking about but he's moving it along because he's addressing 
the actions. He's addressing the activity, not only the external things, but the internal motivations of his hearers. And he's saying to them, you'll be perfect just as your Father in heaven is perfect. That was how he ended. Uh, I mean, it wasn't an end. Remember, this is all flowing together. We we call it an end because the translators decided to put a chapter there. Uh, chapter break there, but it was all one one thing that Jesus is is sharing, right? And Matthew records it all as one one thing there. So um, <clears throat> he he goes from that and sort of the uh, last part there, where he says, "Give to him who asks you, and from him who set, who wants to borrow from you, don't turn away." And you shall love your. Uh, you've heard it said, "You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy." But I say to you, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who spitefully use you and persecute you. Right, and so he goes into all of this stuff, and he says, "Because God blesses not only the good people, He blesses bad people." Do you realize that there are tons of wicked people in the world that have what we think of as blessing, right? They have lots of money and lots of prestige and lots of fame or whatever the things are that we think are blessed. He, God makes his sun shine, rise on the good and on the, the evil, on the just and the unjust. He makes it rain on the just and the unjust, okay? So if those are the things you're after, you realize that it's different. It's a separate thing from his kingdom, and he's going to deal with that in a great deal, as we read in the second part of Matthew chapter 6 as he deals with uh, the idea of treasure and, and uh, what's really important, what's really valuable uh, in his kingdom. Okay. So he's moving us along this train of thought. And naturally we would think that to have greater influence in the world around us, we need to be more popular, we need to be seen more. This is where we... Um, <laughs> well, oh, I'll, I'll talk about that in a sec. Anyways, let's look at the text. Take heed that you don't do your charitable deeds before men to be seen by them. Um, some, I think, uh, I think the King James maybe says that you do that you give alms, right? That's the idea here: is you're giving to the poor, um, giving to those in need. It's a very specific, a very um, particular type of giving. There's an assumption, by the way. If you didn't catch this, Jesus is assuming that this is something we'll be doing. <laughs> when you uh, take heed that you don't do your charitable deeds before men to be seen by them, he says. Otherwise, you have no reward from your Father in heaven. Therefore, when you do a charitable deed, right? There's an assumption that this is something that his people will be doing, right? That will be helping to provide for people. I think in a, in a very direct or normal sense, um, certainly drawing from... Um, I want to look at a couple of verses here, actually, in um, the Old Testament. Um, I mentioned to you guys, I think it was last week, I mentioned to you uh, what the prophets say was the sin of Sodom. It's not what most people think. Uh, most of us are like, Sodom was destroyed because of those wicked people. Um, talking about sexual morality and how the men wanted to, the men of the city came uh, to Lot's door, and they wanted to abuse, they wanted to essentially rape or take advantage of the male angels who had come as visitors, right? The messengers that, that were sent there. And uh, so we're like, Sodom was destroyed because of sexual sin and all of that stuff. And and listen, so, uh, Lot's family was not, I mean, Lot sat in the gate of the city, which is a typical way of saying that uh, he may have been a leader or a judge in the city. That was where um, most judgment took place, was in the gates of the city. Um, 
his daughters, you know, they're thinking we're not going to have any family line left over, so let's get dad drunk and have sex with him so that we can have children. You know, I mean, this is the mentality of uh, of his daughters. This is, this is what they're thinking, you know, his his sons-in-laws, his sons-in-law um, didn't even, they didn't want to go with him. I mean, it was uh, sad. The whole thing is a sad scene. Anyways, Ezekiel says this, though. Good old Zeke. If you ever read the book of Ezekiel, you'll know that Ezekiel was a weird prophet. Uh, he had some weird things to say. They're just weird. I mean, there's no other way for me to describe it. Um, just very strange. Um, and he was also asked by God to do some very strange things, like lay on his side for a really long time um, as illustrations for um, that God was giving to the nation of Israel. Uh, he also was asked one time to cook a meal over human feces, uh, to like make a fire with human feces in it and to cook a meal over it and to eat it. And he complained about it. And God was like, cool, fine. Uh, then, then use like, use like cow feces. Or whatever. <laughs> like, I mean, it was a terrible picture, uh, but, but it was an illustration that he was, that was, God was showing to the nation of Israel. Okay. So, um, I can just, after having studied and read the book of Ezekiel, I'm thankful that God didn't ask me to be Ezekiel. <laughs> <laughs> that's certainly possible he could ask me to do something else but anyhow in Ezekiel uh, chapter 16 this is what we find um, this is a rebuke to Israel to the nation of Israel it says indeed everyone who quotes Proverbs this is in verse 44 of Ezekiel 16 and I want you to listen clearly because he says exactly what the sin of Sodom was indeed everyone who quotes Proverbs will use this proverb against you like mother like daughter you are your mother's daughter, loathing husband and children, and you are the sister of your sisters who loathed their husbands and children. Your mother was a Hittite and your father an Amorite. That's not a nice thing to say. It's, it's a low blow there. Okay? Your elder sister is Samaria, which, this remember, this is talking to, to Jews, to Israel, to call their older sister Samaria is like just a slap in the face because the Jews hated Samaria. Um, who dwells with her daughters to the north of you, and your younger sister who dwells to the south of you is Sodom and her daughters. You did not walk in their ways, nor act according to their abominations. But as if that were too little, you became more corrupt than they in all your ways. Like, whoa! <clears throat> you became more corrupt than Sodom in all your ways. As I live, verse 48 says, as I live, says the Lord God, neither your sister Sodom nor her daughters have done as you and your daughters have done. Look, this was the iniquity of your sister Sodom. He's going to lay it out for as plain as day. She and her daughter had pride, fullness of food, and abundance of idleness. Neither did she strengthen the hand of the poor and needy. And they were haughty, proud, and they committed abomination before me. Therefore, I took them away as I saw fit. That is humbling. She and her daughter had pride, fullness of food, and abundance of wasted time. <laughs> Idleness. <laughs> and she didn't strengthen the hand of the poor and the needy. And God said, I dealt with her. I took her away. Interesting to me. Certainly there's an assumption in what Jesus is telling us that we will uh, be people who are generous, people who um, 
share, who give um, to the poor. Now, <clears throat> I want to look at, at a couple of things, maybe reasons why we can make that, um, we can think that. Uh, they are in the law of Moses. A um, couple of things like this from um, Deuteronomy 15. If there's any poor, 15 verse 7, if there's any among you, if there is among you a poor man of your brethren within any of the gates in your land which the Lord your God is giving you, you shall not harden your heart nor shut your hand from your poor brother. In verse 19, or verse 9 rather of Deuteronomy 15, he says, Beware lest there be any wicked thought in your heart, saying, The seventh year, the year of release is at hand, and your eye be evil against your poor brother, and you give him nothing, and he cry out to the Lord against you, and it becomes sin among you. Um, <clears throat> Deuteronomy 15, verse 11 says, For the poor will never cease from the land. Therefore I command you, saying, You shall open your hand wide to your brother, to your poor and your needy in your land. Um, over and over and over again, there are um, these instructions in the law of Moses. Um, back in Leviticus 25, if one of your brethren becomes poor and falls into poverty among you, you shall then you shall help him <laughs> like a stranger or a sojourner that he may live with you. Um, and if one of your brethren who dwells, uh, Leviticus 25, 39, if one of your brethren who dwells by you becomes poor and sells himself to you, you shall not compel him to serve as a slave. Um... <clears throat> All of these instructions in the law of Moses remind us that God expected um, individuals within the nation of Israel to share, to help, to take care of each other. Um, now, and of course, then we read the Ezekiel 16 deal about the sin of Sodom, about them having like an abundance of food and pride and abundance of idleness. And they didn't strengthen the hand of the poor and needy. They were proud and they committed abomination. And um, God then took them away as he saw fit. Um, what happened to Sodom and her sister, children, um, Sodom and the neighboring cities there. It wasn't, it wasn't only Sodom. It wasn't only Gomorrah. There were a couple of smaller areas right around there that were also destroyed in that, uh, in that judgment there. Um, certainly it's an expectation, a, a common one, a normal one. <clears throat> Um, that God has of us. So Jesus says in chapter 6, verse 1 of um, Matthew, Take heed that you do not do your charitable deeds before men to be seen by them. Otherwise you have no reward from your Father in heaven. What he addresses here is not just giving to the poor. What he addresses is how we do that. The motivation with which we do that. There are lots of ways in which, and it's, it's a, a hard thing to really, I think, to wrestle with. There, there are a lot of ways that we use um, uh, the idea of short-term missions as um, sort of um, vacationing <laughs> or as uh, a way to exploit other poor people um, in order to make ourselves feel better or look better. Um, we do it a lot of times for ourselves. Um, when we could we could take the six thousand dollars it cost us to buy our tickets and fly down there and and you know we give them a little bit and I recently read a story of some late a lady who went to Puerto Rico with a missions organization she was being trained to be the next leader of their uh, area their base in Puerto Rico or I'm sorry Costa Rica not Puerto Rico in Costa Rica and um, they went in with this local pastor who was hosting the teams that they were um, working with. They were hosting the short-term teams. They went in with the local pastor, and the guy that was a part of their organization um, 
went in uh, went to this meeting with this younger girl who was being trained to sort of help take over the operations there and uh and essentially the pastor said this is how much you know we need or how much it'll cost you know for all for you guys to for us to house and take care of all the people or whatever and the guy who was part of the missions organization <laughs> negotiated it down <laughs> and and knocked off like thousands of dollars <laughs> and uh whatever and then and they said the lady afterwards said but we had the extra we had all this other money and and his response to her was uh yeah we send that back to our home organization and of course that's why they like me being the one down here to do this right because we send that extra that was raised we send that back to our home base operations or whatever you know so which of course um goes to pay whatever needs to be paid back home i guess but Anyways, you know, if we take that six or seven thousand dollars, if we're able to have local connections with people, and and uh, and then magnify that to even if it's not that much, if it's five thousand dollars for a ten day trip, please don't don't think that I I don't think there can be any benefit to short term trips. I'm afraid that it's it can be very little. That's my fear. Is that it's a lot of excess and a lot of waste that could maybe be used more effectively in in a little different ways and and maybe for some of us we need to really consider long term missions work um, rather than um, vacation missions um, <clears throat> which fit nicely into our American society and then we feel great about ourselves because we went and we did stuff with these poor people um, you know we gave them some clothes and we did whatever and we even posted some pictures on Instagram to show how poor they are. And how good we are for being there, you know. Um, I, I'm really, I know, I'm, I sound super cynical because uh, cause I am, really, frankly, at this point. I just wonder if, you know, we could take that $5,000. We have five people on a mission trip. They each paid $5,000, $25,000. How far could that go in a third, third world country with a different economy than the U.S. economy? You know, but it's it's in essentially wasted in a ten day trip, you know, or a two week long trip, wasted amongst five Americans, you know, because we need to feel good about ourselves because we have so much excess here and we need to see what it's like there or whatever, you know. Um, <clears throat> it's hard because. Because I hear Jesus saying this, take take heed that you don't do your charitable deeds before men to be seen by them. And then I wonder how we, you know, we Instagram our Bible study time or whatever, you know. Um, we put pictures of things. It, the whole point of what Jesus is dealing with here is our motivations, our internal motivations. And I know that sometimes people say, well, we should still do trip things like that because they're good for our people. They're good for us. And I say, fine, except that if we are using someone else's poverty for our own benefit, how, how does that sound right? If we're exploiting the poverty of third world countries so that we feel good about ourselves, I just don't, I don't get how, how that makes sense as far as the way of Jesus goes. Certainly his instruction, his rebuke here is apropos, not only for us, for them as well. Otherwise you have no reward from your father in heaven. 
Therefore, his instruction is when you do a charitable deed, don't sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets. And there's the story of the of the religious leaders, if you would, going and, and blasting a trumpet to announce that they're going to give money out or whatever. Um, again, um, I, I actually, again, it's one of those things I don't have any any other records of that that I could find that I've been able to find yet other than just preachers saying that that was a thing. Uh, so uh, regardless, the idea is clear, right? If you're going out on the street and just tooting your own horn, right? I wonder where that saying came from. Uh, so that people see you and they see what you're doing when you give to the poor. His instruction is don't sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do. Um, this is uh, these sayings are the places where Jesus begins to talk about um, other people as actors, as people who are wearing a mask or playing a game. That's what a hypocrite is. A hypocrite is a normal, standard, common Greek word for an actor in the theater. Hypocrites. It was an actor in the theater. And now Jesus uses this word and he says, these people who go and do their alms to be seen by people, they're just actors. He said, don't be like them. The sad reality is that much of church life can be about acting more than it is about being authentic or real. <laughs> you know, sometimes we paint um, certain faces on ourselves. Think of the maybe older style drama uh, where you have in theater where you actually have the physical mask that would have a certain a certain um, countenance on it, right? You'd have a mask that had a smile on it and a mask that was painted to be angry and a mask that would do whatever. And if you were playing a part in a particular scene, you would hold that mask over your face. So it didn't matter what you really were. You were portraying an image, right? <clears throat> Otherwise, you have no reward from your Father in heaven. Therefore, when you do a charitable deed, don't sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets that they may have glory from men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. And for me, I think about this in, he's going to continue, but when you do a charitable deed, here's his instruction. Not only a negative thing, don't do this, but here's the positive, if you would. When you do a charitable deed, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. <laughs> I like that. Be sneaky, sneaky. <laughs> right? <laughs> don't even let your one hand know what your other hand is doing. And the idea is, I think the idea is obvious, right? It's one of the ways that Jesus seems to be using hyperbole, uh, the same way that he said, if um, you look at one with lust, um, with lust you've committed adultery, so if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off, right? Like, it's a hyperbolic use of a, a very illustrative words, illustrative language to show us how to deal with something, right? So he's, he's giving us this very, very picturesque language. Um, and he's doing the same thing here. Um, when you do a charitable deed, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. I thought about this as it relates to churches, as it relates to uh, personal Christian ministry, um, the way that we talk about things. Um, I was talking to a friend recently about how um, sometimes people involved in the in the modern 
some of the modern missions culture with missions organizations, sometimes they will contact random churches and they will want to come and share what they're doing. And in the same email that you get, I've gotten tons of these, they'll say, well, you know, we're not trying to raise money. We're not trying to do anything, whatever. And I'm like, well, then I don't even know you. Like, why are you contacting me? Why do you want us to know what you're doing if you don't expect people to, to support you, to give you something? Like, I'm confused by it frequently. And of course, I can't judge their motivations. Only the Lord really knows. Um, I can't judge everyone's heart. Um, what I can do is look at my own and say, Lord, how am I doing things? And, and with what attitude, with what motivation am I um, doing things? Um, <clears throat> this is why, like, um, well, we don't have a board up. I mean, obviously we're in a temporary building, but we don't have a board up that says who we've given money to as far as, like, missions things and how much or any of that stuff. It's all open information if anybody wants to know, right? Um, but... Um, I have to look at that and I have to I have to ask myself the question, why would I do that? Am I am I doing it so that people who come in will see what we're doing and be like, oh man, this is really great. These people are great people. Is that my motivation? Is it to market myself or to market the church to draw more people or whatever? Cause Jesus said, when you give don't even let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. And so I'm praying about and thinking about, thinking that through and saying, Lord, how does that work itself out in, in our community of faith? How does that work itself out and, uh, for me personally and then for us as a, as a family of believers? You know, Essentially, what he gets to is the heart of every one of these things he's going to deal with is the difference between being real and being an actor. Right? And that's why he call every single one of these three things we're going to look at, he call he deals with the idea of being hypocrites, actors. Because in, in all of these areas, lots of people like to play games. In the church, people like to play games and wear masks and be actors. We like to we love to act, we love to pretend like we're something we're not. We love to. Because we want better reputations. We want more people to follow us. But um and, and I get it in a in a very utilitarian way. Um, if people know, then maybe some people then will be more motivated to want to share or to want to give or to want to do whatever. I get that. It seems effective. It seems right. And and there's a reality to that, right? But it has to come back down to me saying, but what's my motivation, right? With what motivation am I doing the things that I'm doing? When you do a charitable deed, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, that your charitable deed may be in secret. And I have a hard time hearing that <laughs> and then also thinking, I should really I should really post this on Instagram. Because it's no longer a secret then. Not only for you, but not only for your friends, but also for Russia. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> it's a joke. Just just funny joke, ha. Huh? <laughs> kind of. <laughs> Uh, for the world, right? You put on the internet, you, you own nothing that you have put on any social platform. I hope you guys all know that, right? It doesn't matter how many reposts of posts that claim that you have any sort of rights to anything that you posted. The whole purpose of it is to collect information, to sell that to companies so that they can make money, right? So that's the deal, right? 
I know your motivation is different than making money when you use it, but uh, Facebook, Instagram, who Facebook owns Instagram now, Twitter, the whole deal, all of them, <laughs> they're, they're, they are companies exist, that exist to make money, okay? And they will find whatever way they can to do that. Um, <laughs> anyways, when you do a charitable deed, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, that your charitable deed may be in secret, and your father who sees in secret will himself reward you openly. This is both wonderful and terrifying. <laughs> right? Your father who sees in secret should be joyful because then you know if you're suffering in silence and nobody knows, God sees because he sees in secret. He sees the things that no one else sees at home or at work. He sees what you're wrestling with and no one else understands and no one else feels. He sees it. He knows it. He sees in secret. <clears throat> And he will answer, he will reward, he himself will reward you openly. He will answer, he will respond to that openly. There are some translations that don't include openly on the end of, of this, but I don't think that really matters, frankly. He will reward you, he responds is the idea. He sees what no one else sees and he responds to you. So the question is, who are you at? whose attention are you trying to get with what you're doing? Whom are you serving? That your charitable deed may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will himself reward you openly. So it's joyous because God sees the secret things. It's also terrifying because God sees the secret things, right? <laughs> the areas, the places in your heart or in your life where, where you and I harbor sin or where we, where we have given ourselves to something we know is wrong or inappropriate, He sees. The wonderful news is that he calls us to confess and to know that he forgives. <laughs> we confess to him. Well, moving on. Uh, oh, goodness, look what time it is. Let's move on quickly. When you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites. Look at that. He's talking about the actors again, the pretenders. <clears throat> when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites. So when you give alms, when you give to the poor, don't be a hypocrite. Don't be like the actors who go and make a big show of it just to get people's attention. Give in secret because your father sees in secret and he will reward you, right? So now, when, when it comes to praying, don't be like the hypocrites like that either, about that either. Um, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues. I think it's interesting that he mentions like the places of Jewish worship <laughs> in the, the synagogue. Like that, that's the normal place where you might pray, right? <laughs> but, but listen to the thing. They love to pray standing uh, in the synagogues and on the corners of the streets that they may be seen by men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. This, again, the idea is acting a certain way, putting on a certain front, being an actor in order to please or show off to other people, to show off to others, um, that they may be seen by men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. Sometimes people will pat you on the back because you pray really great or something, <laughs> or because you give to the poor, because you did a missionary thing and, and, and whatever. Sometimes people will pat you on the back, and if that's what you wanted, great, you got it. There's your reward. But you won't have one from your father, if that was your motivation, right? <clears throat> if that's why you were doing it. Surely I say to you, they have their reward. Verse 6 says, but you, when you pray, here's his instructions for how we ought to pray. When you pray, Go into your room. Well, that's quaint, right? I mean, room. We have rooms. And when you shut the door, okay, so go in the room, shut the door, right? 
your room, by the way, it's a, seems to be possessive, right? Your room, it's your place. Shut the door. Shut your door and pray to your Father who's in the secret place. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. Again, don't be like actors when you pray. Don't let your motivation be trying to be seen by people and trying to impress them or whatever. But, but, but go to your room, shut your door, and pray when nobody knows in secret. Because someone does know. That's the point. <laughs> your father sees in secret. He sees the secret things. He sees what no one else sees. <clears throat> and by the way, this is one of the wonderful things about prayer is that I don't have to travel to another country to be there and to do work there. I get to pray because the same God who is with me here, who hears me, is also there. <laughs> He's always everywhere. And I can ask him to work. I can ask him to be wherever, wherever it is that my heart is concerned. I can ask him to be serving and working and, and ministering and doing, doing whatever it is there. I can talk to my father in secret even if nobody knows and nobody hears. <clears throat> and sometimes I wonder about the Facebook prayers about the memes we send around sometimes or that I've seen on the internet where people are like, you know, do this thing or, you know, one like equals one prayer, whatever the nonsense is, right? And, uh, and, I, and I always sit back and think, like, it's such a worldly way to think that if we get enough people to pray about something, then God will hear us. As if God doesn't care about his children unless enough of them care about something. What does that mean? Well, if that's true, then you don't ever have to ask anybody to pray for you. You don't have to. But I found it comforting to know that my friends care about me and that they do think about me and, they, and they, they lift me up to the Lord in prayer. That's helpful for me and my relationships with them. But God, God does not have like a meter. He's not like the uh, United uh, Way, right, of the Big Band, where he has like this like meter and like once you get enough prayers, oh, then it's tipped, the scale is tipped. We made it, guys! God's going to do whatever we asked him to. Which, by the way, is the whole point, because it plays back into the reality that what we're really saying is, God is not God, I want to be God, I want to control him. If I get enough prayers to tip the meter, I can control God. He's a good father. No, he doesn't always do what you want. I don't do everything my kids want. Sometimes they get real mad about it too. <laughs> and you know what I've learned? Most of the time, they get, especially when they're little, like Caleb and Abby, Silas understands a lot more now, even when I say no. But w when the little ones get really mad, I get that much of their frustration is that they just don't understand. They don't understand what's happening. They don't understand why I'm telling them no. They just don't get it. Their minds just don't wrap around it yet. And then, and then I have to apply that to my own heart, right? To where, like, I ask the Lord something and he's like, mm -mm. But God! Like, whine and cry and scream and fight. And um, sometimes the reality is that I just, I just don't understand yet. I just don't know. 
There are things I don't understand yet. I really like to understand because understanding helps me to be in control. <laughs> and when I'm in control of things, I feel safe. <sighs> when I'm not in control, I don't feel safe. And I find myself having to throw myself on God. And saying, God, I'm really not the one protecting me anyways. And sometimes that's why the Lord, I think, puts us in those circumstances, those situations where we, we don't know and where we can't control because, because He's teaching us to lean on Him more and to, to find more joy and fulfillment and satisfaction and goodness in who He is than in our ability to be in control and the f really the false safety that we have that because we think we have control. Right? It really is just a false safety, you know. Uh, anyways, um, when you pray, don't use... Uh, he continues, sorry. When you pray, don't use vain repetitions as the heathen do. Then <clears throat> the heathen here is, is uh, a word that just means the others or the other nations is the idea here. Don't use empty repetitions as the heathen do. For they think they will be heard for their many words. Again, it sort of plays back into this idea of saying like, if there's a scale that God has and if we fill it up, then God will do the thing we want him to do, right? Whether it's by getting lots of people to pray or whether it's by saying the same thing repeatedly over and over and over and over and over again, right? And this gets to me, it's hard for me not to think about like the way that sometimes people use even this prayer, the Lord's Prayer, because sometimes it really becomes vain repetition where people just are saying the words and they're not actually praying. They're saying the words and they think that they're, the words are abracadabra, right? They think they're magic words. And if I say the words, then something will happen. And they, they aren't really having a relationship to God. They're just repeating the words because it's the tradition that's been passed down to them. <clears throat> but these words are not abracadabra. They're not magic. When you pray, don't use empty repetitions like the nations, like the other nations do. I, I can't help but think of the story of um, Elijah when he's at, at Mount Carmel with the big showdown uh, with Ahab and Jezebel. Don't ever name your daughter Jezebel. Um, <laughs> lady was horrible. <laughs> okay. Anyways, so like this whole showdown there with the 850 prophets, false prophets and and uh, they sit there and they cut themselves and they scream and shout and dance around for hours and hours and hours and hours. And so much so that Elijah gets to a point where he's like, uh, maybe he's on the toilet. <laughs> I mean, essentially he says, maybe your God is like away trying to relieve himself or something. Like he's not answering you, you know. And then to just to prove the character of God, he's like, so fill a bunch of pots with water and dump them on the sacrifice. Because what they were trying to do was call down fire from heaven to to light this sacrifice in front of them. And whoever's God answered by fire, that was the true God. Because Elijah was trying to, the prophet of the one true God, was trying to get Israel to turn back to God and away from these false prophets and, and false gods they had been worshiping. So they said, they said uh, he will answer by fire. Whatever God answers by fire, right? So they do all of this stuff to try and impress their God and nothing happens. <clears throat> so then... Um, Elijah then says to cover the sacrifice with water, cover the altar, cover the whole thing with water. In fact, dig a trench around it and fill it with more water, dump more water and more water on it. And then he just prays this really simple, sweet prayer. And then, of course, fire then comes down from heaven 
and consumes everything on the altar and licks up all of the water, the text says. The whole thing was just amazing, this whole amazing thing. And then Elijah had to hack up the 850 prophets, uh, not like hacking up a, a loogie or anything, but like he had to cut them to pieces. Um, <laughs> again, one of the reasons I'm thankful that I didn't have to be a prophet <laughs> in years past. <laughs> um, but uh, it was this intense scene, right? Anyways. When you pray, don't use vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think they will be heard for their many words. I've had to deal with that in my own heart, with that reality of saying, thinking if I just prayed about it more, then I would make something happen. There's a there's a place of trust, and a place. It doesn't mean that we shouldn't pray continually. Indeed, we're instructed to do that. <laughs> we're told to keep on asking, keep seeking, keep knocking. Right. Those are, are good things. The Lord teaches us things through through all of that. But thinking of it as if I am in some way trying to, you know, tip the scales on something that God is unwilling to do, and but he'll do it if I ask him enough or something. I, I just think that's a, a poor way to think about the Lord, <clears throat> about God's character. Anyways, he says in verse 8, Therefore don't be like them. They think they'll be heard for their many words. Therefore, don't be like them, for your Father knows the things you have need of before you ask Him. In this manner, therefore, pray. Here's a way that you can pray. This is how you can pray. The thing that I want to... We could go... Probably, we could break this down. I've been in sermon series that were like one week on each line of this. We're not going to do that. Um, The thing that I want to impress on you as we go through it, you've heard this before. The thing that I want to impress on you is how brief this is. It's short. Sometimes we think that we're not spiritual because we don't spend hours and hours and hours weeping on our knees like some religious people find themselves doing. It's fascinating to me that we don't get that kind of illustration from the scriptures. And we guilt ourselves into things that I, I, I'm not sure that really are appropriate for us as children of God. In this manner, therefore, pray, Our Father in heaven, as it's been said, begins with this assumption that we're praying for more than just us. Our Father in the heavens. Hallowed be your name. The idea of something being hallowed is it being holy or it being separate, it being not common. Right? Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Come is the verb there, come. Your kingdom come is in the present tense in the Greek present tense means something that is happening and continuing to happen your kingdom come your will be done on earth as it is in heaven your will be done on earth as it is in heaven I have to say Lord when I'm praying Whose will am I praying for? Am I praying that what I want to be done on earth is done, or what you want to be done on earth is done? Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. There's a request. Give us this day our daily bread. As I've mentioned several times, I think this is amazing in a lot of ways, because Jesus setting this as our example, is, and he's going to get to it later on in the chapter, is him saying, don't worry about tomorrow. 
Give us today what we need today. Usually my prayers are more like, Lord, give me today what I need for the next 10 years. That'd be super great. Of course, I'm a horrible human being. So if God gave me today what I needed for the next 10 years, it would all be gone in like three weeks. <laughs> God knows that about me. It's one of the reasons why he's never let me win the lottery. Uh, <laughs> he knows, he knows I'm, I would just, <laughs> it would just all be gone. It would, it would destroy me. <laughs> the Lord knows. So He teaches us, give us this day our daily bread. And I find myself saying, am I willing to trust God daily? And not worry about how things are going to work out tomorrow. And, and you and I may say, well, that's a short-sighted, terrible way to live. Jesus gives us, he, he leads us that direction in the very end of the, the chapter here. One thing I've learned over the years teaching and, and being in fellowship with other Christians is that we don't know how long we have anyways, so today might be your last day. But anyways, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Forgive our sin, our trespasses, as we forgive those who sin against us, as sometimes rendered. Forgive our sin as we forgive, there's this assumption that you're going to be forgiving people. <laughs> In fact, this is so powerful, he comes back to it at the end of his prayer illustration here. <laughs> forgive us our, our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And don't lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Which, of course, the Pope recently changed the translation of. <laughs> it doesn't, doesn't affect anything in reality, but uh, the... Pope recently changed the way that the Catholic Church views that particular line because he says that um, it's inappropriate to suggest that um, God would tempt anyone. And let me be clear, God does not tempt anyone to evil, right? The scriptures are plain on that. James says that very plainly. But that's not what's being said here. <laughs> what's being said here is, uh, it seems, similar to what happened with Jesus, right? After Jesus was baptized... After the Holy Spirit came upon him in the form of a dove, the text says in Matthew chapter 4, he was driven by the wilderness, in, or driven by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. It wasn't God who tempted him, but it was God who put him in that place. And maybe that's hard to hear. <laughs> but there was something that happened there that God wanted to happen there. Jesus was seen as the perfect one. He overcame the enemy. I mean, this is a great, the wonderful thing that happened. And now it's Jesus who's teaching us to pray. When we pray, we can pray like this. The one who was driven by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted says, you guys should pray like this. Don't lead us into temptation, <laughs> but deliver us from the evil one. You see, Jesus understands what it's like to be tempted. He knows, and he says, you and I, we can pray, we can ask God, Lord, keep us from temptation, keep us from the evil one. Don't lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen is one of the couple of Hebrew words that we bring over that means, um, let that be true, or so be it. We bring it directly into English, and... Um, you may hear it pronounced like Amen or Amen. But 
that's one of a couple of Hebrew words that we bring over, like hallelujah. Most of us didn't grow up hearing or knowing what hallelujah means. Hallelujah means we all praise Yah or the Lord. We all praise the Lord. That's what hallelujah means. Hallel, hallelujah, and then hallelujah. Okay. Um, anyways, um, Hosanna is another one, or Hoshiana uh, is another one, which just means save now. <laughs> it's a, it's a, a cry for salvation. Save now. Hoshiana. It's the, the root or the beginning of even the name of Jesus or the title, the name Hosea or Yeshua. Okay. They're all rooted in, in similar uh, Hebrew words. Anyhow, I'm moving on very quickly. <laughs> Yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. If that's true, if you and I pray like that, if we could like think about our prayers and when we pray or we ask for anything, at the end of it, if we could think, everything belongs to you, God. Nothing is hard for you. Everything, everything is in your hands. What, a, what an absolute statement of the sovereignty and power of God. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. I think that, I think it would, it would help us a lot to remove some of our anxiety, some of our worry, <laughs> to help us to navigate those things, right? If you, he comes back to this idea of forgiveness now. For if you forgive men their trespasses, as if we needed to hear it again, your heavenly Father will also forgive. God always knows what we need to hear, doesn't he? <laughs> if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. What does that mean? <laughs> it means what it says. <laughs> Do you mean that if I don't forgive people, then I'm not saved? Right? Because that's usually where people take the line of thinking. <laughs> if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you don't forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. My fear in, in looking at a verse like this, one of the fears I have is that we easily try and soften the blows of the things that Jesus says by giving ourselves caveats <clears throat> as to why what he seems to be saying simply isn't true or there's some other understanding we need to have. And I'm not going to do that for you. <laughs> you know why? Because Jesus wants you to forgive people, that's why. And if you find yourself harboring unforgiveness toward your spouse or your children or your friends or your co-workers or your parents or step-parents or whoever, whatever, whenever, deal with it. Because your father who sees in secret, he rewards openly. Maybe nobody knows about the anger that you're harboring in your heart, but he sees the secret things. This is why it comes back. This is why the idea of prayer and all of this comes back to the secret things. It comes back to the God who sees in secret. Moreover, the last one real quickly. When you fast, what is fasting? When you abstain from eating for a particular period of time. It was a common form of mourning, of weeping, of, of mourning about something was fasting. There have been times when I have been so enamored with grief when I just didn't eat. And I think that's fairly normal, a normal time of fasting. In fact, one time later when Jesus was asked why his disciples didn't fast, he was like, listen, when the bridegroom is with his people 
do they fast? And the obvious answer is no, man, they party, right? But when the bridegroom is taken away, then they'll mourn, right? So Jesus, even in his thinking of fasting, links it with the idea of, of weeping and mourning. <clears throat> Sometimes people use the idea of fasting for lots of different things that, frankly, I just I don't really find much precedent for in the scriptures. <clears throat> when you fast, don't be like the actors with a sad countenance. For they disfigure their faces that they may appear to men to be fasting. I think about this when it comes to um, Lent, right? That tradition of Lent, the 40 days there before uh, Easter. Um, how it, it is, for many, it's a, big, it's a big thing. And for many, it's a big showy thing, right? Uh, in fact, later on in the scriptures, Paul's going to write and he's going to say, listen, abstaining from eating different types of foods and stuff like that is of no use in the reduction of, of fighting your flesh, which is funny to me that that's like a thing that people do so often because they're saying, I want to cultivate holiness and fight my flesh and do all of that. Paul's like, it's of no use. <laughs> it's an interesting reality. That's in um, Colossians there. Um, Paul talks about that reality. Um, Don't be like the actors with a sad countenance, for they disfigure their faces, they may appear to men to be fasting. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But you, when you fast, anoint your your head, that is like with oil, and wash your face, so that you do not appear to men to be fasting, but to your Father who is in the secret place. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. It goes back to this same reality, that you and I are not to be actors in the following of the way of Jesus. We're to follow him with sincerity of heart. And that means that there are things that you and I ought to be concerned about. And the primary thing is the way of God's kingdom, his kingdom, and him. Not whether or not people see what we're doing. The world is enamored with popularity and prestige and honor and pride and all of those things. But that is not the way of Jesus. Because you have a father who sees in secret. So it's okay if nobody else sees. It's okay if nobody else knows. Your father sees in secret. And he rewards you openly. And he says very directly to us, as you're following him, when you're giving to the poor, when you're praying, when you are fasting, don't let anybody know. Go to the secret place. When you pray, go to your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who sees in secret. And this is where social media fights against us in the way of Jesus. <laughs> social media is all about letting people see or hear <laughs> what your thoughts are. And that's why it's so terrible. Because <laughs> our thoughts are so horrible most of the time. The thoughts of people are so ridiculous. <laughs> And we've given everyone a platform to share their thoughts. Solomon has a lot of wisdom to talk uh, to, wisdom about speaking, when to speak and when not to speak. <laughs> okay. So, anyways, um, all of that to say this: Jesus, when he came to Earth, um, again, Philippians talks about this to a great deal in Philippians chapter two. This is sort. This is our summary here. When Jesus came to Earth. Uh, the first time, presenting himself as the king of Israel, he came to a little tiny nation 
that was overrun by the world, sort of world leader at the time, in a little tiny village called Bethlehem, nobody even cared when the governor of the area, when Herod had all of the children under two years old killed in that village, nobody even cared. Nobody even nobody else outside of the scriptures really even records the thing happening. Because it didn't matter. It was such such a podunky little nothing place. And then he grew up in a, a village in the northern part of Israel called Nazareth that people would say later, can anything good come out of Nazareth? I mean, that's, a, that's how we think about that place. It's ridiculous. <clears throat> the God of the universe came to earth in a human body. born from a woman as a baby. If we were thinking about how we wanted to present the kingdom of God so that people would believe Him and trust and and how they would come to know God, that's probably not the way we'd plan it. We'd have Him riding on, you know, being the emperor of Rome. (laughs) That's what we'd have. Because we love empires. (laughs) But Jesus has a different kingdom, a different empire, and he comes a different way, and he shows us that way, the secret way. It doesn't mean that we're actively hiding anything. Let me make sure we're clear about that. That's not what he's saying. He's not saying try to hide everything and be secretive and and be whatever, because then you're just going to end up being a cult and weird. Okay, <laughs> what, what he's saying is don't let your motivation be being seen by others. Popularity, prestige, fame, the things the world is after, don't let that be what you're after. Which is, by the way, what he's always been saying to us. The way of the world is not the way of his kingdom. <laughs> And I say, Lord, help me to trust that if you can do what you have done through 12 people, half of them uneducated fishermen in this little podunky place in the Roman Empire, and you can transform the course of human history through what you've done, help me to realize that, um, that I can do things in secret too. And that you can use those things for your glory, for the sake of your kingdom. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would help us to trust you more than anything else. Lord, would you teach us to trust you? Please. Would you please do it in Jesus' name? Amen. Amen. (laughs) Amen. All right, you guys. Thank you um, for your patience again. And uh, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. And the Lord lift up his countenance on you, his smile on you and give you peace, you guys. Even if no one sees what you're doing, do it faithfully as unto the Lord. Right? Whether it's what we're doing as we serve together or whether it's what you're doing in your family, do it faithfully as unto the Lord because he sees and he always answers. He rewards. He rewards. He rewards, guys. That's the thing. He rewards. Okay, so 
we got to ask ourselves, what are we really after, right? So anyhow, uh, you, you guys are dismissed this week. So. <clears throat>